if you found out that your junior high age daughter was with child, and she said to you that it was from the Holy Spirit, apart from divine revelation, okay, apart from an angel you know, appearing to you and telling you something differently, would you believe her? Honestly, would you believe her? Last time we saw that an angel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to conceive as a virgin and have this child uh, that would be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And she believed, she accepted this. But this also meant her having to engage in now real life. This was going to have huge consequences. Her life was changed. The expectations that I'm sure she had for a normal, wonderful life, marrying this uh, godly young man, Joseph, and establishing a quiet little life together, all of this was changed. Her future, she did not know what was going to be happening next. She believed God, she trusted him, but there were a lot of question marks and a lot of unknowns. And how do you explain this to other people? We have some information as far as how this works out from the book of Luke. You have to uh, put things together with the book of Matthew as well. The book of Luke tends to focus on Mary. Uh, The book of Matthew focuses a little bit more on on Joseph. And that's where we see that eventually uh, an angel appears to him and tells him what was going on. When he realizes that, oh, his his fiancée is with child, and he knows how biology works, and this wasn't from him. And so, by God's grace, he sends an angel to fill him in. I was thinking about this. I was wondering, what about Mary's parents? We don't really have any biblical data about them. What about her mom? What about Mary's dad? Now, we don't know for sure if her dad was even alive at this point, and um, life expectancy wasn't always what it is today. I mean, by the time Jesus... Uh, is in his ministry. It seems that Joseph has passed off the scene. So we don't know if Mary's uh, dad was around when she told him, if they were told in some other way of what they might have said. But you think of this right away. Mary is told this, and she realizes, I think she understood that she had conceived. What does she do at that point? What is she, who does she tell? What does she say? And we're going to read here that what she does immediately is she, she goes on a trip. She goes on a trip to her relative Elizabeth's house. So she had probably heard the news already that Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. This was a miraculous thing. And Elizabeth was about six months along at this time. And she decides to make this journey. It was probably about from Galilee in Nazareth where she was down to the hill country of Judea, probably about 80 to 100 miles. And it's not that she was able to just you know, hop in the car and drive down there. Uh, this would be you know, traveling either on, on foot or if they had animals, probably about from here to, what is that, about the Indiana state line, give or take. We don't know exactly where Elizabeth's home was and in the hill country of Judah. So uh, it probably would have taken about three days, maybe four, as she goes down and, and does this. And you think about what is the reason? Why would she do this? She's heard this news and she wants to take off and go on this, this trip. I think, too, when you put together the chronology of all of this, 
I don't think she's told Joseph yet. I don't think it works out the timing for that to happen until she gets back. So at this point, I wonder if she's told anyone about this. You wonder how she's feeling. She realizes this is happening. This is God's calling upon her life. But think of how, how alone, how vulnerable she must have felt. How, in a sense, trusting but scared she would have been as well. So we'll keep that in mind as we take a look at this. I think the ultimate reason that she went to see Elizabeth is because I think she was prompted by God to take this trip because she knew that she needed this time with Elizabeth, that she needed the ministry from her. And I think Mary would also be ministering to Elizabeth as well. We're going to be reading in the book of, uh, the book of Luke. This is chapter 1, starting with verse 39. You think about this too. What do you think it was like uh, in this household for six months with uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah? Remember, Zechariah had been struck because he he doubted, he didn't believe, and Gabriel uh, told him he was going to be uh, mute, not able to speak until the child was born. And we'll see also clues. He was probably deaf as well because they have to make hand signals to him. And think of Elizabeth. She has the greatest news of her life, this huge life change, and she can't even talk about it with him. You know, so she's wanting to talk about it, and Zechariah is just... What if it turns out that, uh, you know, later on they both die, they go to heaven, and what if they find out that Zechariah was just faking after the first week? (laughs) Let's read. Uh, This is um, starting with verse 39. In... In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to, the town of, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby left in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We'll stop reading there and we'll take a look at this as the first half of the message. This is called by some the visitation. The main point we'll say from this is that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit as her unborn baby met the Lord. So Mary completes this uh, trip about 80 to 100 miles, and it says that Mary rose and went with haste. So this is something she did very, she did very quickly. We don't know if it means she left that minute or a few days, packed some things, but uh, she, she got going fairly quickly. And that's part of the reason I think at this point she probably hasn't told Joseph yet. I think um, this was something that, that happens later, uh, that Joseph, um, maybe when Mary returns after three months, uh, starts to realize what is going on, and maybe that's when the angel appears and tells Joseph that this is of the Holy Spirit, uh, not to break the engagement and divorce her. Um, so this time she leaves down there, and you, so you have these two women meeting together. And just think of this. You have two miraculous pregnancies 
And you have Elizabeth, which this is miraculous enough. I mean, this is Old Testament miracle type of, uh, uh, of, uh, of a pregnancy. This is a miraculous thing for someone beyond childbearing age uh, to have a child. But Mary, this is an entirely new type of thing for a virgin uh, to conceive a child without there being a male that is involved in this. Also, you think of their ages, that Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years. She was uh, older. She'd be a, a prime timer. She was part of our church. And Mary would be part of the youth group. She would be um, probably uh, maybe about 13 years old, give or take. You could be oftentimes betrothed for marriage as early as uh, 12 years old at that time. They married younger. And usually the betrothal period lasted about a year. So you think of that generation, the differences, but they have this common experience from the Lord. And God has put them together because the intention is for them to minister to each other during this time. And we see in verse 41, when they get together, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, was this was not a, a common thing. God had taken a hold of her and uh, was controlling her. And I believe that because of this, we can see that what she said, that this was, uh, this was spirit-prompted speech, that uh, God was speaking through her and the things that Elizabeth was saying, this was, this was of God. I think there were things that God revealed to her, that she was putting things together and realizing what was going on. Uh, because God is filling her with the Holy Spirit and uh, working through her in that way. And so we look at what she says. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims with a loud cry. This is something that, this, this is emotional to her. This is not just a passive thing. She is excited about this. She is uh, delighted. And she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. To be blessed is to receive special favor from the Lord. I mean, it's the exact opposite of being cursed. So it's not God's disfavor. This is God's favor upon her. God is, she's recognizing that God has smiled upon Mary with this. She has received this massive blessing. And she says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, it's a phrase we might get thrown on, you have to think, well, what does this mean? The fruit is what is produced by something, what is produced by your womb. So she's talking about the baby that is inside of her, and there's uh, just this blessed thing about this. I think there's just a few applications that we can get from this even just so far. Now, sometimes we can be so worried about maybe distancing ourselves from sometimes uh, some of the... uh, overabundant praise that is given to Mary um, in some circles of, of Christendom where Mary is uh, venerated or almost worshipped or praised to. But you can react going to the other extreme where we ignore Mary or we, we neglect just the, the, the blessing that she has and the example that she is to us. And we want to seek this as a, um, find a, a biblical balance as far as how we're supposed to view Mary and not fall to the opposite extreme. I think another thing that we can get out of this even so far, you see Elizabeth, and she's had a big experience. Okay, she has this, she's going to be giving birth to uh, someone that 
the angel told her this is going to be something mighty before the Lord. This person is going to have this awesome responsibility. And think of how privileged she felt about this, that she had received this blessing. But you know what our sinful hearts tend to do then when we're, we're glad about our blessings, but then we see someone else with a blessing, and maybe especially if they've received even a greater blessing. And sometimes we tend to maybe not be thoroughly excited about their blessing. But you don't see Elizabeth saying, oh, oh here you are to, you know, with your even greater blessing here. Uh, oh, you had a bigger miracle. You don't see this type of jealousy. You don't see that coming out of her heart. That's not the response of a spirit-filled heart to be, to be jealous of other people's blessings. Instead, the spirit-filled response that Elizabeth has here is that she's able to rejoice in this amazing blessing that God has given to Mary. Even realizing that, yes, she is amazingly blessed and nothing is taken away by that, but God has given Mary an even greater blessing. But being controlled by the Spirit, that doesn't decrease her joy. It amplifies her joy. Are we the type of people that can see God blessing someone else? And does that give us envy? Or does that give us joy to see God working good in the lives of other people? Elizabeth was able to rejoice in a blessing giving, given to another, can we? Verse 43, and she says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She is humbled by this. She views this as just a fantastic thing that, that the, the mother, even this is a young girl, She's a early teenage girl, and she is, she is flattered that the mother of her Lord could come to her. And see here, she also recognizes who that baby is. That this is, this is her Lord. This is uh, her, her Messiah that is inside the womb of, of her young relative. Elizabeth had been looking forward to the Messiah and realizing that this is what was happening. I was thinking about this. At one point, I was you know, thinking through the sermon in my head, and I accidentally called you know, Elizabeth and Mary you know, Christians. And I realized, oh, I've got to be careful about that and not say they're Christians, because this is, this is before you know, the, the church age and all of this. And I thought, would it really be completely inaccurate to call them Christians. Now, in a sense, they're not of the church age. Okay, we all get that. But what is, what is the Christ? What does that mean? You know, that was not Jesus' last name. He wasn't Jesus, and his last name was Christ, because he was born to you know, Mary and Joseph Christ, and that's how that works. Um, no, Christ is the word for the Messiah. He was this promised Savior that was to come. And there's a sense where in the Old Testament, they were looking ahead to the Messiah in the same way. We look back to the Messiah that came. They were looking ahead to the Messiah that would come. So, I mean, in that sense, they were people of the Messiah. And here we see Elizabeth, as far as what's recorded, she's the first, actually, to confess her faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 44, we go on and we look and we see 
She says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Now, I think we don't have to necessarily assume that John's leap was some kind of conscious act that you know, John, as this uh, six-month-old baby, knew exactly what was going on. But this is presented that there's something supernatural going on and that some way and somehow uh, that uh, John, as the forerunner of the Messiah, knew that he was in the presence of the Christ, of the Messiah. And so, as... Uh, One commentary I read said, there's a sense in which John, even in the womb here, was already pointing ahead to the Messiah, pointing ahead to the Christ, and saying, look, he is here, he has come into this world. That in a sense, he was already preaching from the womb. One commentator says, he was the only child to ever use the womb for a pulpit. You think of different Christmas messages and different messages that you hear in church from a pulpit. And there's, there's some messages that may step on your toes. There's others that I hope they touch your heart. This was a message that uh, for Elizabeth may have uh, kicked her bladder. <laughs> but she recognized that John was saying something. He was recognizing he was in the midst of the Messiah. And he leapt for joy. Let me ask you, does the coming of Christ make you leap for joy? As we think about Christmas and what it is a remembrance of, Emmanuel, God with us, does that make your heart leap for joy? Or we get so distracted by have to get ready, have to get decorations up and all this that we forget the main thing. Let your heart leap for joy for Christ this Christmas. I think something else that's worth pointing out too when we see this, we see this interaction between these two babies and who they are. Elizabeth uh, with, with John the Baptist and leaping for joy and um, citing the baby inside Mary as, as, as her Lord. Let me see dialogue that you don't read in here. Elizabeth does not say to Mary, the fetal tissue of a potential human being within me Leapt for joy. She recognized what was inside of her and that this was a baby. And could you imagine, could you imagine today where we deny the, the personhood of the unborn? Could you imagine going up to Mary and Elizabeth right now, just butting in on them and telling them that you think, well, that's great if you, if you choose this, but abortion is a perfectly acceptable option for you if you, if you choose that. Let me just throw that out there for your consideration. And then in verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessings come to those who believe God's word and who trust him to fulfill these promises. And that's an application. We get this too, that this is an example. God does fulfill his promises. What he says he's going to do, he does. He had told Mary that she would conceive a child and that this would be as a virgin and this would be by the Holy Spirit and that he would be the Lord. And she was receiving here confirmation from Elizabeth of what she already believed and that what had come to pass, God had fulfilled this inside of her. And she was realizing, yes, this, this is of the Lord. This is God doing this. 
We can't just hear God's promises. We can't just hear God's word. We have to believe them. We have to believe that God is one that does what he says he is going to do. What he says and what he's willing to do in our life and what he is going to do. But as we think about this, just spend time this week, a lot of time talking with Hope about this, as we're just trying to imagine this and thinking through the relationship that these two would have. And it says here at the end that they spent about three months together. Just imagine the encouragement that Elizabeth must have been to Mary during this time. As I said before, I don't think Mary had told Joseph yet. I think maybe she hadn't told anyone yet. And she was worried. She was wondering, who is going to believe me on this? That she believed that she had God speak to her through this angel and tell her this. But who else? Is Joseph going to believe her? Is he going to uh, put her away? Is he going to be furious? What about her parents, her community? There's going to be a scandal with this. But God, I believe, brought Mary to the one that definitely would believe her. Because Elizabeth had this experience as well. Not the exact same thing as a virgin, but knowing that this was a miraculous thing going on. And that Elizabeth was exactly the person that Mary needed to be with. That maybe she was the only one that would have believed her. The only one that could speak that encouragement to her by her words and by her presence. And it makes us think, how can we be there for others? I know it's not exactly the same, but I would bet that you have unique circumstances in your life that make you the perfect person, maybe the only person, to be there for another person in their unique circumstances. Kent Hughes wrote, Like Mary, we must fly to the church because there we will find people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who share a mutual faith, believing the same things. Mary's faith, as great as it was, would likely have faltered had it not been for the fellowship of Elizabeth. Therefore, we must purposely place ourselves deep within the fellowship of those who also believe God's Word. Elizabeth played a huge, important role in Mary's life. And because of this, Mary responds. And in this next section, Mary utters this, this hymn, uh, these words of praise that are called the Magnificat. And it comes from the, the word to magnify. She says, her soul magnifies the Lord. The Magnificat, it's to, to magnify, to make large. So let's read this part together, starting with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. As I said, this, this uh, hymn is called the Magnificat. And some critics, I mean, some, they're Bible scholars that don't necessarily believe the Bible and that it's uh, written by the inspiration of Scripture. And there's some that they read this and they question, and they say, you know what, a girl of that age could not have written this. That she couldn't, there's too much in here, too many, um, it's too well-crafted. There are too many uh, biblical allusions to uh, items in the Old Testament that it's like you would need an Old Testament scholar to piece together all these parts. Because if you look and you read um, Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, you'll see parallels there. Uh, You'll see bits that um, reflect other parts of the Old Testament. And they say, this is just beyond a girl like that. I think a few of the things that they are ignoring is one is the fact that Mary herself, as a godly young woman, she was steeped in the Old Testament. She was someone that would have been taught and and knew Scripture. She would have spent time memorizing this and, and internalizing this in her heart. And in fact, some of these songs of praise, such as Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2, probably she would have sung at festivals. And you think of things like, like Hannah's song, Another Miraculous Pregnancy. She had just spent two or three days traveling. What do you think she was meditating on during that time? And she was thinking about the scriptures, today our Old Testament, to her, her only scriptures. And she would have been contemplating these things and seeing how her life was, was, was like this and then some. And I think some of these critical scholars are also ignoring the fact that the role of the Holy Spirit in this. And I think that in the same way that Elizabeth was guided by the Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit, that we see that this is something the Holy Spirit is doing this in and through Mary as well. And this is speech that the Holy Spirit is helping her to produce. So looking at the content of this, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Then Mary was filled with praise as her heart magnified the Lord. And magnifying the Lord in your heart really is the essence of what true worship is. And it really is the ultimate reason why we exist on this world and in this earth. It's, it's the reason why we were created. God created us for His glory to rejoice in Him, for our hearts to see Him for who He is, and for Him to be lifted up and magnified in hearts. That ultimately it's not about um, just the the words we say or the things we do, because you could say words and not mean it. But He cares about what's going on in our hearts when we praise Him. It cares that both how we praise Him as we sing and how we praise Him as our hearts as as we drive home, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we do our daily things, is our heart thinking about God and lifting Him up and seeing Him as bigger and bigger in our hearts. And remember, we don't actually magnify Him in the sense that we make Him bigger, but it's how does our heart see Him? Does our heart see Him for who He is? And therefore, with the things that we say, does it help other people to see that? Do we lift Him up in our hearts? Part of our church's mission statement is to magnify God. That we would see Him for bigger 
as, as huge as he actually is and as great as he is. And we would make him, his glory known in this world. And when we see different aspects of his greatness, when we contemplate different things of who he is and what he's done, that's how we magnify him. It's the essence of true worship, and it's why we are here. I think a second point here is that we can, like Mary, it's good for us to magnify God for specific things. I want to think, as you look through this, if you have your scripture open in front of you, you see verse 48, 49, you see the word for several times. And sometimes we think of the word for as just one of those little throwaway words that's there to connect things. But think of how valuable that is. I mean, it shows the connection between different thoughts in Scripture. But realize what this is doing, her heart magnifies the Lord, not just for general things, not just because it does, but for specific reasons. And here she's going to list specific reasons why her heart magnifies God. And maybe, if we're sitting here thinking, I need my heart to magnify God more, and it's, it's not happening. Maybe what would help is if we take more time to think of these specific reasons why we should magnify God. Maybe if we want to have a richer time in our prayer life this week, maybe we want to sit down and, and be meditating on God's Word, who God is, His action, maybe writing things down. A list of what are specific things we can be praising God for. Not just the blessings He's given us, those are definite things. Who He is, His characteristics, the spiritual blessings He's given us as well, and how much we do not deserve these things. And that leads into the next point. Like Mary, we can magnify God that He lifts the humble. I see here Mary considering herself in humility. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's saying, I, I, I'm not in this position because I'm so awesome. This is not because I am such a, a wonderful, perfect person. She says, I am humble. And what she means by that, she says, I'm, I'm no one. I'm just a, a common young girl, and God has given me this. Who am I to receive this? But she's saying, but God has looked upon me and given this to me. They get the sense she can barely believe this. She can barely, she's just trying to let the ramifications of this sink in. She's realizing that throughout history, for generations, that hundreds, thousands of years in the future, people would be thinking about her because of this. All, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. And don't read this in a way that this is coming across as Mary being prideful, like all generations will call me blessed. I think this was just sinking in. Just this huge blessing that she did not deserve. And she's trying to grapple with this in her mind. I think we need to do that too. That we need to not think of these things as something that God gives us because of our pride or our greatness or a sense of entitlement, but to realize how undeserved they are, that God would treat us as sinners as well as He does. That Christ would send His Son. What about for us? Christ would send His Son into this world to die for sinners like me and like you. That He would, through that, give us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
that he would adopt us as, as, as sons into his kingdom, make us co-heirs with Christ. Do you let that sink in? It's undeserved favor. It's pure grace. Like Mary, we can magnify God for His attributes, for who He is. We see some of these in Scripture in 49 and 50. We see in verse 49, it talks about God is, God is mighty. Similar to that in verse 51, it talks about His strength. Verse 49, it refers to Him as holy. He is a God of holiness. He is separated from sin. He is set apart to God. In verse 50, it talks about His mercy. And even just focusing on those things, you see three of parts of this multifaceted diamond of awesomeness that God is. And we need to spend time when we look at God, think of it like, like looking at a diamond, that it's, it's one thing, but you can look at different facets of it and the greatness of this. And it's not just enough to, we don't want to just focus on his awesome power. We don't want to just focus on his, his mercy, but also his holiness. And think how important it was for all three of these things. I mean, what if God was awesome in power, he's so powerful, and he's holy, he's against sin, but he's also not merciful? Where would we be? But it's because God is all of who he is that we can praise him, spend time looking at that and seeing him. And finally, we see that, like Mary, we can magnify God that he humbles the proud. From verses 51 through 55, you see, well, in here there's seven verbs of God's completed action and what he's going to do that he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble states. So we can praise God for both his his attributes, and for his actions, both for what he has done and what we know by faith, by belief that he will do. And here we see there's this great reversal that so many that, like Mary, would have been considered no one, that through God and through what he has done for us and belief in him, that gives him the ultimate privilege. And so that so many in this life that are considered, that people would view, they have what's going on, they have the earthly blessings, they have the influence and the money and the power and all this, that eventually they'll be brought to ruin without God. Now this does not mean, you look at something like verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This does not mean that God is against all those with wealth and that he is on the side of all the poor. We have to acknowledge that Scripture teaches that there are righteous and unrighteous rich. There are righteous and unrighteous poor But for the lowly ones who trust in him, there will be this great reversal. Because remember, in context here, this is about those that fear God, who believe in him and trust in him. Do you notice that in verse 50? And his mercy is for who? For those who fear him. That brings you back a little bit to some of it when we spent five weeks talking about what it means to fear God, to have that healthy respect for him. And how that's part of a heart that fears him and and trusts him, if you genuinely trust him as Savior, God will be working that healthy type of fear in your heart as well. 
So you see Mary praising for all these things. And I think to really get the most out of this, you almost have to take time in each, each stanza in the Magnificat to really meditate on it and think about it. And I challenge you, I hope that you would do that this week. Take some time, maybe one or two of these, maybe in the morning and then in the evening, to take one of these verses and spend time just turning it over your mind and thinking about it. And then verse 56, Mary leaves. I think probably before the birth of John the Baptist, some may wonder, okay, uh, Elizabeth is six months along, Mary comes and stays with her nine months, should be pretty close to when she's about to give birth. Um, now, in that time, they use lunar months, so it might have been a little bit longer, and babies come when they're going to come. We think, well, why would Mary leave before? I think she needed that special alone time with Elizabeth. I think they needed each other. And maybe she left because knowing that when John was born, there was going to be a whole different level of, of attention at this house, and there would be relatives and people coming in and all this. And although Elizabeth believed her, she's still an unmarried, pregnant teenage girl. And maybe that's part of the reason she realized this is time that she's going to let Elizabeth have, have her time in the spotlight here, and she's going to go back, and she has some business with, uh, with Joseph. But as we think of all of this, and we think of Elizabeth soaking in the blessings, we think of Mary soaking in the blessings that are coming upon her and rejoicing God through this. When the best things happen to you, let it sink in how marvelous and how gracious that really is. And turn your praise to God who gave you what you and I, we do not deserve. And do what you were created to do. Magnify God in your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we magnify you. We lift you up in our hearts. You are magnificent and awesome. And the more that we know you, the more that we see what you are like, the way that you revealed yourself to us in Scripture, the way that you, we see what you've done through your mighty works, the ones that are recorded in Scripture, and the ones that we have experienced in our lives, Lord God, that you have turned our hearts towards you, that you have opened our eyes to see you as our Lord. And we call you Lord. We call you blessed. And we thank you for your work in our lives. Help us to magnify you more each day. May your name be praised. Through Christ our Lord, we pray.